Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, California set some really aggressive goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Senate Bill 32 was planned to reduce greenhouse gas emissions 40% below the 1990 levels by 2030. In 2018, Governor Brown issued an executive order to set statewide goals to achieve carbon neutrality by 2045 and negative greenhouse gas emissions afterwards. And the governor and legislator have allocated more than $6 billion from the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund since 2014 to help the state's climate goals. And where does this money come from? The funding's coming from the proceeds from California's successful cap-and-trade program. So when we look at the California greenhouse gas emissions, 40.6 is coming from transportation, cars and trucks. 25.8 comes from industrial processes. Making cement is pretty intensive there. 12.6 commercial, mostly in buildings, 11.9% residential, and 9.2% from agriculture and forestry. So we've made terrific progress reducing greenhouse gas emissions in electricity generation, and EVs are reducing our greenhouse gas emissions for transportation. But we still have almost 25% of our emissions from buildings, gas space heating, hot water heating, cleaning, clothes washing, and and gas drying, cooking with uh, gas stoves, and even pool heating and other uses. So we need to attack both new construction and the existing buildings. It's a big job to change out the infrastructure from existing buildings. So to help explain the challenges and the possible solutions, it's my pleasure to have Jeff Byron on our show today. Jeff knows a heck of a lot about California's energy infrastructure and plans. He served as a commissioner at the California Energy Commission for five years, and more recently he's been a board member for the Clean Tech Open and member of the Band of Angels. I got to know Jeff while we worked together on energy issues at Silicon Valley Leadership Group. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Barry, thank you, and thank you for such a nice introduction. I hope I can live up to it. It's just the truth, and you know, you're kind of a legend here, and it's really great that you're staying enthusiastic about that. So, really, before we dig into California's energy issues and electrification, what are you spending most of your time on now? I don't like to use the R word, that is, retired. I'm still involved in a number of different things energy-related, but I'm certainly choosing the things that interest me, that being the Band of Angels, a member of the, the what we call the Energy Special Interest Group, investing in clean technologies. I'm still doing a little bit of consulting and some work with some startup companies in this space. Let's see. I've also been really interested in promoting community choice aggregation throughout the state. It's one of the greatest things, I think, that's happened since sliced bread, at least in the energy business. That's kind of cool. All right, so let's set the table a little bit. What's the big picture for California's challenges to reduce our greenhouse gases? Well, I was at the commission when in 2006 when we passed AB 32, and it, you know, it was a pretty heady time. A lot of good things happened. In fact, I've heard some people refer to it as the golden era for energy and, and environmental legislation. And it's continuing. There's no doubt about it. But that was 2006. Holy Toledo, that was a long time ago. So I guess AB 32 has been in place for about six or seven years now. It's been an enormous opportunity to fund some of the programs that we're going to need to do in order to to truly hit these goals of reducing greenhouse gases. More recent numbers indicate that we've we've got about 9.3 billion funds in, that have been collected oh, wow. through 2018. And in fact, the amount of stuff that was applied just last year towards projects across California's 58 counties was $1.4 billion. That's double what it was in 2017. So the, the cap and trade funds 
seem to be increasing. As best I can understand, the market's working very well. But I haven't followed it too closely. But I'd like to just pause for a second and say that there is an individual who you may want to try and get on your show at some point. And she owes, we owe her a great debt because she came in during the Schwarzenegger administration. She stayed through the entire Brown administration. And I corresponded with her recently, and she's going to stay for at least another year or two under this Newsom administration, and that's Mary Nichols, the the secretary Mm -hmm. of the Air Resources Board. Yes. She's just been extraordinary and diligent in figuring out a path on how to implement this legislation, and she's been working on it now for... I think since since about the time we passed it. So wow. that's a long time to be in, yeah. in, in public service. And I used to run into her at the Safeway in Sacramento. And I know she's living in an apartment there during the week. And she must be getting a little tired of that by now. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it is amazing how much the state has done and how much leadership has been provided by the various governors and representatives. And then you look at all that money. It's not really a cap and trade or it's not really a tax. Everybody's getting a dividend in terms of benefits coming back. That money's not going to other things. It's That's really right. going into That's energy. Right. All right. Good. So where does building electrification fit in, you know, new construction versus existing buildings? Well, this is kind of new to me. You know, I really was not aware of the advances in the technologies, the incremental advances in energy efficiency of these different heat pumps appliances. And we've got to address the existing building stock. When I was energy commissioner, I think it was in 2008 or so, I chaired the committee on the integrated energy policy report for that year. And that's when we stuck in there that by 2020, we'd be net zero energy on all new residential construction. Well, we could kind of see how we can get there, Mm -hmm. but it's a push. And so now here we are on the verge of hitting 2020. And it's sure enough, the codes are going to be requiring this kind of thing. It's easy to get to net zero because all you need is more solar panels. And maybe we can find some solar contractors that are going to put that in. But no, it's quite doable. And implementing energy efficiency programs so you get your load down, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But how do we do it for the existing building stock? And there's a lot of pushback. The real estate industry does not want to do anything that impairs a transaction on the sale of a house. Mm -hmm. So we can't weasel our way in, if you will, at that point to make some changes. It's a difficult subject. So really, I think what we're finding is consumers, there are lead consumers out there, key decision makers, people that are willing to try and address this issue. And we're beginning to see that happen. It's just the the, the tip of the sword at this point. But we're talking, there's a lot of folks that are now beginning to do this. And then we'll go into a little bit more detail in this a minute. But the thing that's surprising to me is there aren't a lot of pioneers that are out there that are saying, I want to just make my existing home greenhouse gas neutral, carbon neutral. And it's, I mean, you're going through it. I have a few friends that have gone through it. I'm going through it. It's surprisingly easy and surprisingly hard in a few regards. And you don't know until you kind of yeah. dig into it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think maybe this goes without saying, but it's good to back up a second and say, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to decarbonize the electric power industry. We're trying to decarbonize the transportation sector. We're trying to reduce greenhouse gases. And you can do this without burning fuel. And without burning fossil fuel. And yeah. that's the extraordinary transformation that's happened. I never thought I'd see it in my lifetime. And here it is all happening in the last five or eight years. I, you know, I see it as being incredibly feasible, really easy to buy a new home, yeah. a standard home, as long as the insulation's good and you got solar panels on the roof. These appliances that are going to help you get to zero net carbon are standard. They're easier to put in. And you look at the research, it's cheaper to put in electric appliances than to run gas from the street. 
it's doable. So the, the existing building stock houses commercial buildings. That's kind of where we have more of a challenge. And I think watching my former commission, commission that I was formerly a part of, I don't think they're going to license another natural gas power plant in the state going forward. So there's a lot of things we could talk about this, but California is on this road, and I think it's going to work. Yeah, we'll get there. All right, let's kind of zoom in and find out what individuals can do. You know, tell me, or just kind of dive right in, tell me the specifics of the project that you're in the middle of to try and get to zero net carbon. Well, of course, it starts with me thinking about how can I decarbonize my life if I'm going to put these kind of requirements and recommendations in, in policy reports at the state level. I need to, you know, walk the walk, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. So I've got basically four appliances, five if you count my car. I, I went to a, an electric car probably six or seven years ago. And so the four appliances in my home are a gas forced air furnace, a gas cooktop that we really enjoy and like cooking with, and, of course, uh, my gas water heater. And the other thing that burns fossil fuel, although I hardly ever use it anymore, is my fireplace. So yeah. those are the things that I'm looking at. And I began doing my research on this, talking to people that I thought might be able to help and, and help me understand what's available, what can be done. And, you know, if you spend a lot of time on this, it's all on the Internet. You can find all this information. There are reports available, studies. It's a fun research project for me, but maybe not for everyone else. Yeah, no, I agree with you in every case, except it's kind of ironic that you mentioned the fireplace. There is a technology that's used for fireplaces. It's called wood. And that's zero net carbon. And I've got a fireplace insert. It's got a wood stove insert, and it's got a little electric fan on it. And if I just buy some firewood, I also use it for my oven outside, that can heat up the bottom of the house. It does, and it works. However, of course, unless you put the insert in, it's extremely inefficient to burn wood in an open <laughs> fireplace. It puts a lot of particulate matter in the air, yep. and we do have no burn days, and we do have a problem. If everybody was doing that, it'd be a serious issue. Yeah. Now, I'm going a step further. I'm taking the fireplace out of my <laughs> house. We're removing it. All right. That'll take care of it. All right. We've got a little bit of time here. Tell me about how you went about finding the contractors and prioritizing the changes that you're making in your house to kind of get out that those nasty carbon generating fuels. Right. Well, you know, I got to say I have relationships with a number of the utilities and the municipal utilities throughout the state. And typically the munis tend to to lead the charge, if you will, in a lot of ways, because they're locally controlled. They they are interested in their customers' needs, and they don't have a regulator overseeing everything they do. And they're not trying to make a profit. And they're not trying to make a profit. That's a very important point. But Palo Alto Municipal decided a few years ago they were going to start providing incentives to customers to do this retrofit. So I went to a two-hour seminar that they put on over in you know Mitchell Park in Palo Alto. I snuck in, I guess, because I'm not a Palo Alto resident, but they didn't care. And they had the manufacturers. Some of the installers were there. So that kind of got me interested in this. And then when I started doing a little more research and looking into it, I go, wait a minute, it's not just water heaters. You can do this with a lot of things. You can do this, you can do heat pumps with dryers, and you can do this with furnaces, and you can do it with even pool heaters. So that kind of got me going. And really, it was through community choice aggregation, which I hope we can talk about given the time. We'll stay on this. Now we're seeing some of these CCAs, which most of I think all of Santa Clara County and all of San Mateo County are in in a community choice aggregation, are now going to start providing incentives 
for people to do this. And so the information is, like you say, it's hard to come by. Identifying contractors, all these things were difficult to figure out. And yeah. this is my this is my business, my industry. You would hope I'd be able to figure it out, but it was challenging. Yeah. So what are you doing? Tell me about the changes you're making kind of, you know, right now. Well, just yesterday, I had a gentleman come out, a contractor, and change out my hot water heater. It was a one-day deal, and he installed a heat pump water heater. Seems to be working just fine. Haven't really had a chance to test it yet. It's connected to the internet. Well, I can, I can smell that you took a shower today, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. So as far as we know, it's working just fine. But the efficiency, this thing's f- probably 40 or 50% more efficient than the natural gas heater that we just replaced. But there's cost associated with putting that in. And so that's the beginning. The second thing I'll, I'm going to go after next week is the, the furnace. I'm going to take that out and put a heat exchanger in with a heat pump outdoors that will be providing the, the hot water to for the heat exchanger in the, in the winter and the cold water in the summer. So I'm getting the bonus of air conditioning. And then we're remodeling parts of the house. When I told my wife I had this little project I wanted to do, she said, well, I have a few things I want to do, too. <laughs> so, we're, of course, we're redoing some bathrooms, but we'll also put a new cooktop in. So we're going to replace the gas cooktop with a electric induction cooktop. And the fourth thing I think I told you is the fireplace is going to come out. And we're going to put in, I found a, a nice-looking fake mm-hmm. electric fireplace. It actually provides heating. But I don't want it for that. I want it for occasionally for that nice little warm glow and that look in the in the home, which I think still most homes need for resale value. So those are the four things. All right. So what kind of problems did you run into or what would have been the, the challenges or the impediments? Well, number one is identifying contractors that even understand what this transformation is because, you know, these are folks that work in a pretty traditional business. To them, Title 24, which is the energy efficiency requirements that we, we put on new construction every three years, is a burden for them. They're the ones that kind of have to rubber meets the road and they have to figure it out. Is that necessary for retrofits or is it mostly for new construction? No, it's just the the attitude, if you will, I'm trying to convey. I had a contractor come out, an HVAC guy who was recommended to me, and I told him what I wanted a bid on, and he gave me a bid on a conventional furnace. And I go, no, what part didn't you understand? (laughs) Same thing happened when I wanted to get a bid on my domestic hot water heater. I said I wanted a heat pump hot water heater, and he was like, you're going to get a flash heater or an electric heater. It's like, no, it's a heat pump. He's like, all right, i got to look for some. So that's the challenge. Is finding is finding the individuals, the contractors that have some experience in this regard, identifying what the what the piece of equipment is. Because at the end of the day, you want the most efficient. Yeah. You want the the one that'll have the best longest lasting life and has had good performance record. So those are the challenges. Then you have to, of course, remember that you're basically reducing your gas demand, which is a good thing. You're going to save money there, but you've got to think about the increased electrical load in your house uh-huh. and whether or not your house can handle that. Yeah. So we talked about that before the show and that when I kind of look at all the appliances that you need to put in and perhaps the solar you need, you absolutely have to have a 200 amp electric service and you may need to do some other upgrades. So that's an impediment that people realize once they get into the process, it's like, oh, I can't really do this until I do that. And that could be expensive or in, ter- in terms of upgrading your service from 100 or 125 amps to 200, it could take three to six months with the utilities. So not necessarily. In other words, I had no interaction with the utility whatsoever. I upgraded my panels seven years ago when I bought my Leaf. My house is over, it's now 60 years old. Mm -hmm. 100 amp service was not really sufficient. So I, I know the direction we're going as a state here. I had no problem upgrading my panel and I just bit the bullet 
and paid the money and had a good job. How long did it take and how expensive was it? Do you remember? The guys, they came out and prepped it in a day and cut it over the next day. And PG&E came out and looked at it, you know, power off, power back on. We were without power for probably three or four hours. And so it's interesting, you know what to do. I had my friend Sue Cayley on the show a month ago or so, and she's been through it too. Now, she's an expert in these things. She upgraded her panel, and once again, for her, it was cheap and fast. But when we're doing these things as part of our solar upgrades, and we work with PG&E electricians, it is way more complicated than anything else we do, and it always takes months. So primarily because they have some interaction with regard to the, the generation on the there's some no, safety concerns? What, no, what's no, the no, no. It's, it's just if you contact PG&E and probably other utilities, too, there are incentive programs that they don't tell you about. There's shorter and faster ways to do it. But if you kind of go through the regular process, for example, in San Jose, in order to shut the system off, you need to coordinate with the utility. You need to coordinate with the city of San Jose. And on that same day, they all have to be there to turn the power off and turn it on again. And so just the mere coordination for a normal electrician to do this is tricky. So gotcha. that's one of the gotchas, one of the impediments. And also, if you have an underground electric service, right. oof, you know that's going to be expensive. That could be very expensive if, indeed, they need to pull new wire. And, of course, you typically, I, I think most people would hire the utility to do that, whatever's on that side of the meter. And, and, and you never know what the price is going to be. Uh, it's going to be ten grand. I mean, you're going to have the utility guys digging a trench and putting in piping. Now, you can do it a lot cheaper yourself or with your own contractor, but people don't know about it. Okay, so what kind of advice do you have for people that are contemplating this electrification? Well, it's extremely satisfying to know that the end game is my home will no longer be a burden on society in, in producing carbon. It's going to be essentially a carbon-free house. Mm-hmm. And unlike you, I've gone a slightly different direction. But anybody, whether you put photovoltaic on the roof or not, you know, it's so easy now in Santa Clara County. Check the box. Right. Buy the 100% renewable option that's available. So even if you generate your own electricity, all of it's not yours. Some of it's coming in from PG&E. Check the box. Buy the yeah. 100%. So the CCAs allow anybody to purchase zero carbon electricity. Yeah. And then really the net benefit of solar as well. With solar, you can just get that electricity a lot cheaper and you know, also with a battery. So the end game is that I basically I've decarbonized my house and I've decarbonized my transportation. So I feel pretty good about that. Of course, we were also talking before the show about a recent trip I went on to Europe. So that blows my carbon budget right out of the water. But this is the direction California's headed. And I really think people should start thinking about it. If they're interested in doing something now, you know, changing out the LED bulb, changing out the light bulbs to LEDs in their house is the biggest and fastest, yeah. best thing. No brainer. And this one, it's not cheap, but this one is also has an enormous impact because now there's no carbon. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's talk a little bit about CCAs and how you see that evolving. Well, CCAs has kind of been dormant legislation. It was actually passed after the electricity crisis in 2000. So I think it was 2002 it was put in place, and Marin Clean Energy was the first one out of the box. And they had a tough road. They had a lot of opposition. Let's just say that the investor-owned utility that serves them was not very happy about it. There was even a ballot initiative that they put forward to try and stop this that failed. So once they pioneered that path, and I think the utilities in general blundered terribly because they brought this to everybody's attention, cities and counties started looking at it and they realized, whoa, there's something there. And now about a third of the state has moved over to putting local control around the purchase of their electricity, primarily to address their greenhouse gas reduction plans that they have to do by by legislation. 
I think this is one of the best things that's come along in a long time. It puts everything in local control, as you pointed out earlier. You're not supporting a for-profit company around the purchase of this power, because like a municipal utility in that regard. But the thing I'm very excited about, besides the fact that they can put in 100, and they're all moving towards 100% renewables, is they can also initiate programs at the local level that meet the desires of their constituents. Uh, Just in the last couple of days, for instance, Silicon Valley Clean Power announced a rebate program for heat pump water heaters. Right, right. They also have a rebate program to offset the cost of upgrading your electric service. So I think it's $4,500 for both Silicon Valley Clean Energy and upcoming San Jose Clean Energy to put in a heat pump hot water heater and upgrading your electric service. And if you're a care customer, you can get even a bigger rebate. Right. So I'm very keen on this for all the first things I said, but really I'm interested in the programs because at the state level, we mandated a lot of stuff that our investor-owned utilities were supposed to do to address energy efficiency. And we spent probably on the order of about a billion dollars a year on that. And it hasn't been as effective, I think, as community choice aggregation can be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, good, good. Well, what are you doing in your spare time besides decarbonizing? Well, that's a fun little project. I'm having a really good time. I'm working with a couple of nonprofits that are near and dear to my heart and some travel with my wife. We're really enjoying the empty nest and this time. But community choice aggregation, I think, is probably been promoting that throughout the state for the last four or five years. And I'm involved heavily in that. So that's probably occupying a good part of it. But I've also been doing some work up at Stanford. In fact, there's an energy summit we've got planned here. It's actually coming up very soon. It may not be before most people hear about this podcast, but I enjoy this kind of stuff, trying to help educate everybody I know and and love about what they can do to address greenhouse gas reduction now in their own personal lives rather than relying upon somebody else to do it. It's a great way to wrap it up. This is what we can do now. All right. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. And thanks, Jeff, for joining us. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast. 